0: Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the Third Sector Mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC which along with many other of his charitable commitments has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities, author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts Books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. A warm welcome listeners. As ever,
1: sincere gratitude for listening into this podcast, where it's truly a pleasure to host Louise Farr as my guest. Louise has a fascinating, if not emotional, story to share with us, one that will leave us in no doubt about the power of pets. Louise, a warm welcome to you as well. Hi, Paul. I'd like to start, if I may, by asking you to give us an insight into your life so far, but from a petless perspective.
2: Um, okay, well, I, sort of, I was brought up, you know, with a with dog. It wasn't mine. So, um... I didn't really have much to do with it um it was my brothers and it used to follow him everywhere but um when i left i actually um left home at 17 to join the wraf because um my stepfather was in the navy his father was in the army and i so i thought i don't want to do those two definitely not um because they were both drill instructors and i knew at one stage i'd cross their paths um being the character that I am. So I thought, that's it, I'm going to join the WRAF. So I did. Um, I wanted to be air traffic control because I had this vision of me sat in the tower going, "Um, coming runway number five. I didn't even know what they said, as you can see, but I just thought, you always see this in films, that's what I wanted to do, but there wasn't any room. So I went into the unknown world of logistics, which is... What, not what everyone thinks. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I went around the world for about four or five times, um, not paying for any of it. So all my flights were free, which was lovely. Stayed in some obscure places. Um, ended up in the middle of the night in Norway in a snowstorm and places like this. And then next day I was in Washington, D.C. in a five-star hotel by a pool. So it's all different. And I absolutely loved it. I thought, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. But then you sort of grow out of this. So um, I did 13 and a half years in the WRAF. And as I say, I was really proud to serve my country. Did three war zones, a couple of conflicts, you know, all the exciting bits. Um, and um, I just joined civilian life, but as logistics, because that's what I knew. Um, and I went from company to company, because in in the service, you tend to move every two and a half years. It's not so much now, but when I was in the service many moons ago, um, every two and a half years, you moved to a different station or to a different squadron. So I was always on the move. So I was never used to sort of staying in one place, hence never had any dogs um, or any pets at all, until I literally came out. The RAF, and that's when I got my first two dogs, actually, um, and they were English pointers—the most beautiful animals and the most majestic, um, kind, stubborn, silly dogs you could ever have. And I, I absolutely adored them. Um, and yeah, we trained one of them to the gun, which was really nice. I didn't mean you picked up the gun and shot shoot, of course. But yeah, he was a proper pointer. He used to be the one who said over there to all the retrievers and the spaniels and off they would plop and he would just lay down in the sun and enjoy the rest of the day. So I knew there was an affinity with me and dogs because I would take them for long, long walks and you know, spill out all your troubles and things like that. Um, and then I just carried on, as I said, in logistics, did the nine to five, Monday to Friday, blah blah world um and then i went into events logistics which was took me into the um olympic games the london olympics i was totally honored to do that um so i became a senior manager in the um, london olympics again logistics split up with my partner at the time so i didn't have dogs um and um then and then met another lovely person um, and didn't have animals because they didn't like animals. Basically, wasn't part of their scene. But I always had this feeling something was missing. But I just, you know, got on with my life. Um, and oh, how oh, it all if started sorry, again. I is can
1: just come in there, Lou. I Do apologise for cutting across you, uh, but I think oh. there's a valid point there. How was how was life uh, when you're effectively with um, a partner? that actually doesn't share your passion for, for animals generally, and specifically dogs. That must have been really difficult. Yeah,
2: it was. Um, but I always had a thought in my head, it would be all right once I've you know settled and I've got a job or a place of, you know, that was going to be ours, I would always be able to talk them round to it. You know, yeah. you always say, well, you know, of course, I love dogs. Nobody can resist a puppy. That was in my head really childish sort of thing but no one can resist a dog or a puppy in need never even entered my brain that um there would be no feeling emotion towards any kind of sort of animal um because i've always loved them so i just presumed foolishly that um you you know of course everyone likes dogs why wouldn't they you know, they're beautiful, they're lovely, they're funny, they're loyal, they love you, they need you, they make you go out for long walks. And so I always had that, oh, it'll be all right, I'll talk them round to it. And how I actually started to get back to dogs was I was out in Azerbaijan doing the European Games, and a friend of mine said to me, I, I've heard about um, a dog rescue that really needs our help. Um, you know, would you be willing to come and clean up the kennels and try and you know not walk the dogs because they were quite wild dogs. They were used to being on the streets and fending themselves, but they just needed someone in the winter to have shelter. And so, within about three months of me starting the contract, every Saturday and every Sunday, there we were cleaning out and building kennels. And I knew then that I had, this was like my my salvation, really, because I used to sit and talk to these dogs. I don't think they understood English, but that never stopped me or my friends. Um, and I could feel this bond always. I had an affinity with them. Even you could, I mean, it's hard to explain, but you could sit next to a dog and say nothing, but a 100,000 words have been said. And all it takes is for them to put their head on your shoulder or you to sort of um, stroke them or sort of just even put your arm around them and that's it that's that a bond is starting to be to be built so for the remaining i think it was about 14 months every saturday and every sunday we went to these shelters and built them and made sure that they were all you know these dogs would always be safe and the hardest part of leaving that contract which i thought would be ridiculous is um, to say goodbye to the dogs. And they didn't know us. I mean, they just sort of looked at us. We were just strange people that arrived every couple of days or, you know, two days a week um, and then disappeared. So there's five very big adult people crying their eyes out, waving to these 20 dogs. And, you know, I just knew I had to, when I came back, um, not get a dog, but actually get involved know for my own um peace of mind I suppose just get involved with dogs and help them and you know and that's the way that I would become my true self I think
1: so how would you explain to people Lou that haven't uh, probably got that deep-rooted um obvious empathy that you've got with, with with dogs particularly how would you try and explain uh to someone for example that said to you well yeah dogs are okay um but I don't understand what the fuss is. What, how or why, why can you have that level of a connection with, with an animal? They're okay, but, I mean, what, how would you come back at that, Lou? I would
2: say, we'll just spend a day or a couple of hours just with one. Just, you know, in, I wouldn't say if you're scared of dogs, I would never try to say, look, that's a pathetic fear because th- that's a fear and that's your fear, it's not mine. Um, if someone gave me a spider, I'd run. Well, in fact, nobody would give me a spider because I'd be running so fast past them. But I would just say, just spend time with them, um, just being with um, a dog, even taking a dog for a walk. That connection that you get, whether it's your dog or somebody else's dog, is um, is a, a, It's like it transfers all the way up the li- up the lead to you, and the softer and the gentler you are with yourself the softer and gentler that you are with the dog. And it all transmits through your whole body down the lead to the dog. So if you're angry, and we all get angry, if you're angry you take your dog for a walk, they know, they know that you're not in a good mood. They know that they've got to be on their best behaviour. They know that all they've got to do is walk right next to you and everything will be all right. And I've done this many a time and I'm sure... A lot of dog owners, and not all dog owners, have done. You've gone out for a walk. You've had a really bad day. You've got the lead tightly in your hand. But by the end of that walk, the lead is relaxed. You've even let your dog off the lead. You're playing ball. You know, the world becomes more, more at peace because you've now f- taken the focus out of you and feeling sorry for yourself, feeling angry with what's happening, to actually concentrating on something a being that just needs you, just needs you to look after them um, and you just to be connected in that 5, 10, 15 minutes um, and then it will be okay. And that's what I would say, just take one a a dog out for a walk and see how it makes a difference to you. And I would, I've never, I mean, it sounds really woo-woo and wishy-washy, but it's not somebody said this to me, I mean, I hadn't had dogs for years and years. And they said, just take a dog for a walk loop and it would calm you down. And it's true within 20 minutes, I'm chatting away to the dog. I do look a bit like a loony mind. I'm chatting away <laughs> with a dog. Um, it, nothing seems too big. Yeah. You know, Cause you just got to walk the dog and you've got to make sure they're okay. And have fun with it. And you come back and you're relaxed and you sit down and, even if they pull you and tug you, because it takes you away from your thoughts and whatever's bugging you, because you've now got to concentrate on this dog you have tried to pull and tug and you know sort of train them and get them so that you're one with them.
1: Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, Lou. And I think the key point there that um, you, you made um, is, is they take they take you out of yourself rather than navel gazing about oh, poor old me and internalising. You've now got to focus on something external, and uh, I think dogs and, and animals, in generally, uh, in general, massively give that sort of—I uh, don't know if it's the right term—but release valve, and, and does create that empathy, so you're not just dwelling on on yourself and internalising everything. So yeah, I, I I do I do understand that.
2: I find that also people, I mean, with cats and other animals, that that's what an animal does for you. For me, it's for dogs. And um, for other people, like the for the cat people, the hamster people, you know, any sort of animal, it just, they just make you see what's more important for just a little while. And that's all it is.
1: Yeah. And I think within that, Lou, there's that um, element of vulnerability that you're caring for, you know, another life that, um, I'm not saying can't care for itself, but certainly. You know, it's, it's well-being to whatever degree is in your hands. And that, and that is a responsibility, isn't it, whether it's a human being or, a, or an animal?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly that.
1: Yeah. So uh, it is that it brings out that, dare I say, that warrior in us, that protective nature, that nurturing um, and, and all those things. OK, then, Luke. So if I was to say to you um, about life without an animal as a generalisation or or, or let's keep it specifically to dogs, because I know you're going to introduce um, a very special soul into the interview in, uh, in a short space of time. But if I was to say to you, um, tell us about life without animals or w- without a dog compared to life with a dog. I mean, is there a stark, almost black and white polarized way of being in your life in, in that context?
2: Yeah, I think there is. I mean, a life without a dog is work, work, work for me. It would be, um, I would work for as long as I could, um, and either, and oh. then if I wasn't working, then I was in the house. That was it. There was no in between. It was work or home, work or home, and that's all I did. Um, and I was, I would say, quite ang- angry and, um, I wasn't, I, there was no gentle side to me. Um, it was like, I, this is the way it goes. It became a very, like, a military operation My my life. had become a very military, this is what we're going to do, this is when we're going to do it, and we're either in or we're out. That's it. There's no, there's no sort of wishy-washy between, in the middle. There's, that was And that's exactly how I would say it. It's a very big military opera, operation in my life. That was it. Okay. Um, with a dog. Um, well, I found my gentler side um, and it will come out in the story. Um, I found my gentler side. I have to go out. Um, one thing I did, I was scared of is walking out the door. It's been a big thing in my life for quite some time. Um, Cause I've lived on my own for quite a few years before and in between relationships, but I, and I, I have this big fear of walking out on my own. Um, I've got a big fear of crowds as well. So I would, but now I've got to, now I've got to go out because my my little girl needs to be walked. Um, So I I mingle with people. Um, I'm a lot fitter. I'm getting a lot fitter as well because of it. I talk to a lot more people because um, a dog walker will always talk to a dog walker because <laughs> mm-hmm. we don't, and it's funny because we never know each other's names, but we know the dogs' names. It's,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. it's a
2: pretty big joke. Um, w- when when you said describe your life, I've got this image in my head that is very round, rounded, and it's very soft and very gentle. Before my dog, it was very square and very pointed. So that's the sort of image I've got. It's more gentle, more relaxed. Um, I'm much more happier um, because I get an unconditional love back. Where I give love, I get this unconditional love back. And But it, the, the big thing is it just
1: made me who I am, for real, the true me. Excellent. So, okay. Um, give us an insight, then. Let's move over from um, a situation where you've not got a dog, Lou, to um, I think the, the term I used at the top of the uh, the conversation was pet from a petless perspective mm-hmm. to one now. T- tell us about and you've used the term, so I'll use your words: the young lady in your life.
2: Okay. Well, it's a it's a bit of a story. This it, my young lady in my life. Her name is called Rada. It, means Countess in Romanian, so we've been told. Um, she's a ex-Romanian street dog. I could say ex because she, there ain't no street dog. Well, not the life she lives anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a Romanian street dog. Um, I, the story is is that I when I came and lived in Peterborough, because you might not be able to tell, but I don't come from Peterborough. I'm a West Country girl. We moved up from London, me and my then partner, we moved up from London to Peterborough um, for business reasons. And um, I started to go to a, when I came back from Azerbaijan, because I'd done this pet rescue in Azerbaijan, I wanted to find something here in Peterborough. And I wasn't, I was going to build my own business. So I didn't, I didn't have a nine to five job. Um, so I had time. So I found this place just outside Peterborough um, and a lady called Roz used to run it. Uh, she's unfortunately passed away a, a couple of years ago. And um, I used to go there every Tuesday and Thursday, walk a dog for four hours or walk for, uh, several dogs for, f- for about three to four hours um, and then come away, go back again a couple of days later. And that's what I used to do, Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's with my days. i turn up at 12, leave at 4, and it didn't matter the weather. And one day I got there and Ros says to me, oh, Lou, you're really good <laughs> with difficult dogs. I never know where she got that from. Um, and I said, as you do, yeah, of course I am. That'd be fine, no problem. Hoping that it wasn't um, a massive great big rockwiler that's going to come and try and chew my head off or, you know, a dog that was uncontrollable. It wasn't. That she took me into what's known as the puppy place um, and it's where all new dogs come in to be in quarantine and to be assessed and I went into this place and there was about six six puppies and I said oh they're really lovely she goes no there's a seventh lady um her name is Rada and could you do us a favor could you just sit with her and you know play with the puppies but we want her to start taking treats. She won't even take treats. She won't look at you. She won't even come into the same room as you. We, we hope she's eating, but she, she won't eat if you look at her. In fact, she, she's so scared. And I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, she was so scared that even on her passport, um, it said a, towel, um, a dog with no tail because her towel was tucked so tightly underneath her. So I, I sat there for a a couple of hours on a concrete floor and I thought and she didn't come anywhere near me. Absolutely no. All the other puppies thought I was the best thing since sliced bread climbing all over me, which to me just made me laugh. But there's this little girl who sat in the corner um, and just won't look at me. In fact the furthest away she could get from me, the better it was. So I went to Ross and I said, Look, you're gonna have to tell me what what this you know why is she like she is? She's too young. She's what six, seven months old. Why is she like she is? Why is she so scared? And it turns out there's an awful story um, about how street dogs in Romania, Lithuania, and I've seen it in Azerbaijan are treated, and it's because they've got an overrun population, and because we in the Western world love our pets, we, we we're a bit crazy over our dogs and our cats. You know, some people do dress them up. I don't. I'm not one. I'm not a crazy dog lady. I just love my dog. Um, and they don't treat them very well. They, you know, the dog catchers will go out. Um, they'll grab hold of as many dogs as they can with catch poles. They'll ch- sling the catch poles over their shoulder and walk to their vans. The vans could be, you know, 100 metres away or it could be two or three kilometres away. And if the dog survives hanging off the back of these catch poles, then they're just... Chucked into kennels and left there to die or to or to be euthanized because they've got this big problem. And what happened to Radha? She was caught along with her, her brother. She's um, they think she it there's there were three siblings, Rada, her brother, and another little girl, and her mum. Her mum and her sister, they believe, got managed to get away, but Radha and her brother were caught. Um, and so Radha and her brother was spotted by a lady who often goes out to Romania. She's a UK lady. um, And she spotted her brother and a a few other dogs and put them into another kennel just to get them all vaccinated and to be brought over to the UK because there's a few kennels, rescue centers that will take some of these Romanian and um, Eastern European street dogs into their rescue. Um, poor old Rada though they went to, to put her into the van to c- bring over to the UK and um, they f- couldn't find her passport so they had to leave her so her brother went on and she was left and what they thought was in a an, a better kennel so she'd been taken out of this one sort of kill kennel and put into a better kennel um, after three months the lady went back to the rescue place to pick up um, the kennels to pick up Radha and she wasn't there. And they had moved her to this, these kennels with 500 other dogs. Now, we're talking about a three- to four-month-old puppy that's now been put in with 500 dogs and expected to survive. And they literally just throw the food in. So if you don't get the food, you know, so you can imagine. Anyway, she got over to Peterborough and what they thought was going to be a beautiful five-fourth Five six month old puppy. By the time they got her here, she completely shut down. She was so nervous. She was as was very withdrawn. And as I said, even on her passport, it said um, crossbreed with no tail um, because it was tucked right under the, her her tummy. And she wouldn't look at any anything. She would go anywhere near any men. Any noise. Um, that was it. It used to. You could just practically see her. Shaking in her shoes, um, she tolerated women and children were just too loud for her. And they, that's what they were saying. She, in front of my eyes, she was just shutting down. So <laughs> what I did is, I, I went, um, I went most days, and I, I, I would sit on this concrete floor, and it started to become, you know, she started slowly, slowly slowly coming towards me first because I would sit there literally with my legs stretched out and treats up my leg that um, was nearest to her and one in my hand was my hand stretched out um, and after about two or three weeks she started to come over to me and she would she took the one out of my hand first and you know I, I just sat there and grinned I just wanted to run around going, yes, she's done it, she's done it, she's done it. But, you know, when you get that feeling, it's a bit like trying to celebrate in a library, that you just yeah. don't, you just, you know, this silent celebration's going on in front. And then she went to the bottom of my leg, and then she slowly moved up until she's lit, practically face-to-face with me, and then she turned around and ran off. So I knew then we could progress more and more with her. So what we decided to do was to take her over to the garden and that was she had to go walk across a little lane part um and into the owners of the rescues garden and it was so bad we had to carry her so i started to go there quite often practically every day and i'd pick her pick her up from the kennel and cross over the the lane and put her in the garden sit next to her at first we just sat there because she didn't quite know what to expect or what this was. And then slowly we would walk around by putting a, a, le- a slip lead on to her. And she was absolutely terrified because it was something around her neck. So it's the catchpole thing. So we put it around her waist and we'd walk around. And it was, this is only 15 minutes a day because she couldn't take the stress too much. And then we'd carry her, put her back in the kennels and carry her. And we I did this all through October and November. Um, and it was freezing. I mean, it was freezing. I ended up going out every single day, except for Sundays. Um, and it was absolutely freezing. And we just, but she was, she started to trust me. But every time I went away and I'd go back the next day, it was like I had to start all over again. She had to remember me. She had to know that she trusted me. And it was just this, it was like going back to the beginning every single time. So we would go four steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, three steps back. So it was getting, you know, it was being really such a, such a long time to do it. So this was through October and November. And I knew that I wanted to bring her home. I really wanted to bring her. I didn't want to keep her. I wanted to foster her. This is what I wanted to do. Um, I just wanted to scoop her up and take her home. That's all I wanted to do. But my partner at the time didn't want a dog, didn't like dogs, wasn't interested in dogs. Um, And the problem was our relationship was breaking down. So where I would have a couple of years ago said to her, um, look, I'm going to – Lost this dog, it's okay, I'll look after it, blah, blah. I couldn't even approach the subject until it was December the 23rd and I went and went to Radha and I did the usual thing but we spent 30 minutes in, in this garden and it was absolutely brilliant and there was a little sort of Christmas, pre-Christmas party happening um, with, with all the volunteers and I took Radha and she joined us is she literally sat there with her head on my lap um, if she wasn't sniffing around. And everyone kept saying, but this is amazing. We never thought we'd get, get to this point. And I said, to, you know, yeah, I know. But, you know, she's, it, it won't be long. She'll, get, she'll find her forever home. And at the end of my sort of volunteer shift, I picked her up and I put her in the kennel. And I had to say, I'll see you in a week because it was Christmas and the kennels shut down there's no volunteers it's just done by the um the lady who ran it you know it was only a few people that were going up there so i knew i wouldn't see her for a week and i i went home and i was absolutely heartbroken you can imagine this little girl who's got this massive great big brown eyes i say little girl this dog sat there with his big brown eyes, it's like a bit of a Disney thing, and just looked at me to say, I know you're not coming back, I just know you're not coming back. So I went home, didn't sleep very well on the 23rd, woke up, and I just said to my partner, look, I've got to ask, I I can't do this, I cannot leave her there, uh, she's just got to come home, I'm really sorry, but I just need to foster her. And so after a lot, lot of talking, um we agreed that I would foster her. So I phoned up the rescue place on December the 25th, 4th, and said, I'm coming to get her. And they went, no, you're not. You can't. Sorry. We've got to have someone to come and check your house out, which is routine, of course. And um, you won't be able to take her home until the 26th. And I thought, Christmas Day. Oh, my goodness. How I can get through Christmas Day? This is ridiculous. So lucky enough, a friend of mine who's also a volunteer at the rescue place came around she lives just around the corner from me the time um and she came around and inspected my garden and said yeah it's fine of course so nine o'clock on boxing day morning i went and got rada to come and stay with us because i was going to be a foster parent well that sort of went slightly wrong because what is it nearly three years later she still sat next to me and um, yeah, she's, she's my dog, really. And, and, the th- and she's been my constant companion since that day. I mean, since the day that I picked her up on December the 26th, 2015, she has been my constant companion, except for a couple of months in, to- in total when I went away with my sisters to Oz, because they wouldn't let me take her on a plane, which I thought was really mean. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. you go. Oh,
1: dear. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say, uh, Louise, is it not that um, Rod has made a, a significant difference to your life?
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's got me through some tough times in the last couple of years, some really tough times. And that's not to say that she sort of sat down and gave me advice because I know she is just a dog. Um, but yeah, she's been there by my side throughout. Um, and I don't think I would have got to the place I am today without her.
1: Would it be too strong, um, Lou, to say that Rod has actually given you some a new direction, a new purpose in life? I mean, I, I certainly don't want to kind of infer or put words in your mouth, but the you know what I'm picking up here is there is a very definite uh, change of direction.
2: Yeah, I mean. She has, definitely. Um, I think because I had to spend so much time um, sort of giving her the courage to trust me and to start to trust other humans um, and also to show her that life's not scary. The big world out there is not as scary as what she thought it was or had the fear of. It actually taught me it actually taught me, you know, to trust people. Um, yeah, you. we all get let down one time or another. But, you know, pick yourself up and find that person or that being to build the courage to um, start to trust again. And also, it's the love to learn how to love not only other people, but yourself, um, because to become courageous I think you've got to know yourself first to get over that fear so that you trust yourself you love yourself and then you can get over that fear and she's really really taught me that because as I touched on earlier I was absolutely petrified of going outside it wasn't the big wide world it's just that little step from the inside of your house to the outside to me that was a massive barrier Once I was out and with people, I was fine. It was just that step. And I don't know what it was. It was just something in my brain that says, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And she's taught me to say, it's going to be, it is scary. Believe me, there is fear there. But come on, let's do this together. And I think it's taught me if you've got somebody, some being by your side, there's an a massive amount you can achieve. And that really has changed my whole life on the way I look at myself, but also the way that I look at other people. I've got m- great empathy where I never had before. As I said, the military operation, um, and nobody was going to change you from that. And I didn't have much patience with people. You know, it's not my way or the by way, but for goodness sake, just get on with it. That's really used to go through my head quite a lot. When people go going, oh, I can't, oh, for so goodness sake, get on with it or go away. I used to be quite dismissive. Um, now, because what you see on the outside often isn't what's going on in, on the inside. Um, and because people used to look at Rada and say, she's an absolute beautiful dog, a bit of a crazy looking thing, but she's an absolute beautiful dog. But what they didn't know was what was rattling on inside of her, you know, the fear, the tension, The you know, she was trying to build a new life for her. And that's really taught me a huge of,
1: a huge amount. And you can only empathize, well, try and empathize, Lou, with the, um, you know, from a pet perspective, because obviously they can't explain themselves. And I know from, you know, the work I do with people that, you know to peel back those layers for them to actually verbalize and and show and communicate what those underlying issues are very 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 difficult so for you know for a dog or a pet in general to be able to peel back those layers i mean it is truly remarkable i think it's one of those things that you can't you can't explain it's a bit like love itself it is the epitome of love you can't explain it it's there and it has a very very powerful effect um, probably the same as the wind, the rain—you know—all the powerful elements of of human nature that we, as human beings, we like to categorise. We like to put them in a pigeonhole, so it's convenient for us. The reality is, it not that you're not going to be able to do that. Live, live with the the consequences and the benefits of what um, of what they give. And certainly, from from what you've said, Lou, Rod has given you that. Uh, that new lease of life and I don't think it's too strong to say that
2: no it's not I mean um it's I, I don't think without her I would have been brave enough to walk out the door on what I thought was my um life partner because it, what was happening to, to our relationship was it was falling apart but I knew I had to get out but I I didn't want to go back to being you know on my own and I didn't but I also knew it was affecting Radha because, you know, the tension throughout the house and they do know it. But I knew that all I had to do is click a lead on her and walk out the door and go, look, no, I can't do this anymore. I've really got to just have the courage to take that step over the threshold. And my life, I need to find, and as you say, your purpose in your life. It's an ongoing thing with me. I'm getting there, but I know that I'm on the right road and I've got my best mate next to me. You know, four four paws. She's next to me all the time. Whether it's good or it's bad, you know, we're then we're we're a little team that goes off.
1: Excellent. So with this newfound purpose then, Lou, what what does your future look like? Tell tell me about share with us about your hopes, your dreams for the future, what does that look like?
2: well, my hopes my future i 'm um, growing my own sort of business i 'm hoping to help people that need just a a loving hand the way that the the rescue place helped me, um, whether they knew it or they didn't, but I think they do because of the different volunteers that go up there, you know, it's a forever changing sort of it's that's why they're all volunteered because it's forever changing, but you go up there and, you know, sort of some of them rebuild their lives. Some of them, they, they help their children. Um, you know, you see young kids go up there you know, in their 15s and 16s in a, having a teenage tantrum and, you know, suddenly chill completely out and, uh, are at peace for maybe a few hours, and what I, I, my, my dream and my legacy is, is I, I, I'm building towards finding my place, where, where it, where it is, I, I don't know yet, but I am looking. It's going to be in the countryside because I'm a country girl throughout. Um, I want to build a place where it, it, it could be a rescue place, it, you know, for rescue animals, um, dogs. So that people, troubled children and troubled people can come, help me look after the dogs um, and actually find their peace without any pressure. Take my dog for a walk, find your peace. You know, you might think the world behind you is hurting and, you know, is not nice. But for this week or few days or a weekend, this is your place. This is... We've got jobs to do, but I'm going to give you somebody or I'm going to give you a being that will love you unconditionally while you take them for a walk. And that bit of unconditional love can change people completely. And that's what I want to do. I just want to, what I've been taught by Radha, I want to pass that teaching on to others.
1: Fantastic. And and you know, sometimes, Lou, we hear um, you know, we hear a story like that and it, it's beyond it's beyond logic, isn't it? It's beyond logic and you you hear the emotion of that and the more importantly the end result of and you used for me the right word earlier on in terms of legacy, to be able to pass that on is you know, is really does epitomise the power of pets. So yes. Is there anything else you'd like to, to add to that, Louise, anything, any message to any would-be listeners about the power of pets and, you know, what a, a massively positive impact um, that could have on your life? You're thinking of having a pet or not, or uh, is there any kind of, let's use the word legacy again, you know, in, 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 a, in a word, what, or in a few words, what would be your legacy in terms of everything that you've uh, that you shared with us?
2: Well, I would say that um, if, even if you've got um, a dog or a cat or any any animal or you're thinking about it and then people always say to me, you love your dog more than, and I always look at them and I smile and I say, yeah, do you know, I have the honour to have unconditional love returned to me every day, every single day. They t- They teach you love and trust and strength. And that to me is absolutely amazing and the best thing about unconditional love is they never say I will love you if they just love you and to learn how to reciprocate that back for us as humans is sometimes impossible but they just look at your look at a dog look at a cat whatever animal And they, they, there's, it's just unconditional. And I think us as humans have got to learn that lesson. That's one of the biggest lessons we need to learn.
1: I, on a personal level, Lou, I totally agree. And I think on that very poignant and thought provoking note, um, I'd like to thank you for your time and sharing that because I know it's been, uh, it's been an emotional journey for you. I think that's fair to say. So thank you. Thank you, Lou, for sharing that. And I'd also like to thank the listeners for listening. And I truly hope that you've got something out of um, Louisa's journey and particularly, um, and I'm sure we all join together to, to wish best wishes uh, for, uh, for her and Rada. So thank you all. Until next
0: time, take care and best wishes. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullohearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.